Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. Well, Larry and I talk about a whole lot of things. This subject is entitled Close Calls. We may do more than one on the subject. And uh, man of mystery, man of adventure, Larry Rutman, what kind of trouble did you get into over the years? Let's find out. Were you on air? Oh, we're on air. Absolutely. How about life and death in the Holy Land? What's that all about? Well, there's been plenty of life and death in the Holy Land. Um, Lois and I went to Israel. That was my first trip to Israel. And her only when I went back there for that baseball adventure that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. I think the year we went there was about 1973. So the first night we got there, I had chosen to stay in the American Colony Hotel. Now, the American Colony Hotel was on the was on the uh, side of uh, Jerusalem that the Israelis annexed uh, it, by their success in the 1967 war. So it was an old-style hotel. It previously um, had been in uh, Jordan, I guess. And um, it was uh, a place that I thought would be more interesting than the ordinary Israeli hotels at that time weren't so great. I think they've improved considerably since that time. So anyway, the first night we go there, brave Larry, uh, whose judgment uh, was a little erratic when it came to traveling, uh, said, well, why don't we... We were not far from the old city, the walled old city, with the four quarters. The know Jewish it well, quarter. know it well. So that um, I said, well, why don't we, uh, why don't we go there after we have a nice dinner? Now we had arrived, I think, about you know late in the afternoon, and we had dinner at this terrific hotel, uh, the American Colony. It was very nicely appointed, and um, so that uh, it was a moonlit night, and we weren't far from the gate that was opposite where the whaling wall is, mm-hmm. so we would have to walk through the whole city. Um, so I said to Lois, well, why don't we just walk over there? You know, I'm I'm trusting soul. I mean, I, I could have been killed several times in my life for some of the stuff that I've pulled. But in any event, here I am. And um, so uh, we walk down there, and we go through the gate, and once you go— so the first thing we saw were all these armed guards, Israelis— and uh, because, uh, you know, this was a fairly quiet period between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But still, I mean, anything could happen anytime. Yeah, anything could happen. They were there. But once you got into the city itself, there weren't a I don't think there were armed guards in there. And, you, and it was a whole new world to us. Souks and, and you know, you, you couldn't really see the sky very much because it was these small little streets. Oh, yeah, the little markets, the little shops and and selling the wares right there in the streets, the souks, as you call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, you have to you have to traverse the whole city to get to the side of the Wailing And Wall. you got to watch your step because the, the, the city is ancient. <laughs> you know, the streets are bumpy, to put it lightly, the oh, sidewalks yeah. or lack thereof. Anyway, go ahead. And we, we visited uh, again, of course, in future days, in the next few days that we were there in daylight. But this was dark, and uh, I thought it would be adventurous, sort of romantic, and it was. And um, so that um, 
we finally did come out on the other side. And when you can't come out on the other side, there's a panoramic view of the Wailing Wall and beyond the Wailing Wall, the Dome of the Rock, which mm-hmm. is so, I mean, one thing is uh, figures uh, very highly in, in Jewish culture, the Wailing Wall, built in the time of Herod and the time of Christ. And the Dome of the Rock behind it, sitting high above it, with its, uh, you know, it's a great site, you know, and we had visit, we visited that later, but not that particular time. So we walked down into the big, open, I don't know what you would call it, courtyard where the Wailing Wall is, mm-hmm. and we saw that. And uh, again, in future days, uh, you know, we went to the Wailing Wall. We there's a passageway that goes to where Herod's residence was. You've seen all. I've been there. Yes. Yeah. So time. that. Um, but that night we uh, we turned through the the old city and um, came back to uh, the hotel probably around eleven eleven o'clock and the reason I call it a close call is that I don't think I realized at the time that there was a certain danger in doing this at that time mm-hmm. and I must not have realized it very well because like the next day and the next title you see here don't fool around with Herod was when uh, there's, a, there's a place called, I don't know whether you visited this, it's, uh, it's, in the, um, it's in the Jordanian desert, maybe a few miles from Bethlehem and a few miles from Jerusalem, but out there where it's like no man's land. Mm-hmm. And this is where Herod is thought to have been buried, but it's called Herodion. And what it is is a big mound, and you've got to go on a circular walk up to where you look down into where it's thought Herod was buried. And when we got there, there was nobody there, except uh, there was nobody to be seen. Mm-hmm. We drove up, I drove up as far as I could. And to show you that I was still, that my head was someplace else, um, I said, well, I, you know, I want to walk up and see what's, you know, when you walk up, see what's down there when you get to the top. So Lois said, well, I don't, you know, I'm a little tired. I really don't want to walk up there. So I said, well, okay, I'll walk up there and just take a look and come right down. wasn't that far. But that was not a great thing to do because she was out of my sight for a little bit of the time. And I walked up there and I came back. And when I came back, there was an old lady sitting some not too far from the car. And Lois told me that lady had approached her and they'd had a bit of a conversation. But, you know, we got back in the car and we drove back to Jerusalem and to the hotel we were staying in. Another close call because we would we were sitting duck for anybody who wanted to— Well, you were also in Jordan. You weren't in Israel anymore. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember crossing the border, and even—this was only four years ago when things were pretty good between Jordan and Israel and so forth, but uh, a lot of guys with a lot of guns <laughs> on the other side— you know the Jordanian side, but uh, uh, at night, did you did you feel threatened at all? Did, did did people come up to you, or did you just feel a little unwary just by being out? Well, we went to we went to one restaurant that was on the Jordanian side. It might have been at the hotel, or it might have been close by. I can't remember that. But when we went in there, it was mostly most of the customers were Muslim, Jordanian, whatever, mm. and. Um, I remember one guy was sitting opposite us who looked particularly threatening in his turban, and he was smoking and looking at us. 
I didn't feel exactly threatened, but uh, well, one of the things about Israel, and and uh, I was fascinated by this, was the the number of people in many of the cities who were in uniform, soldiers, Israelis, men and young women, you know, carrying Uzis and carrying very heavy weaponry, and in a way, it makes you feel a little bit leery to know that there are so many guns, but on the other side of the coin, it's the people with the guns that you are going to protect you. It's a, it's a, a totally different way to live and that they, the Israelis live through it uh, every day. Well, they do. And um, so, and I, you know, I was there again. It had changed to some extent. The last time I went was around 2007 or eight. And, um, and even changed since then, obviously. Were you there, not during any intifada uprisings or any kind of attacks, no. were you? Okay, because we, we also missed um, a bit of an uprising by about a month and uh, felt much better about not being there when that happened. The Plains of Abraham is on my notes. Is that connected to your travels in the Middle East? It sounds like it should be. Yeah, I didn't mention it before when I said we can cover these because I figured you might say exactly what you just said. Okay. The Plains of Abraham. No, the Plains of Abraham are up there in Quebec City. Ah, see? I'm learning something new all the time. Well, let me you know, this is really, you know, as a as a as a history student and hopefully a teensy bit of an historian, um the Plains of Abraham are where the Battle of Quebec City was fought. Ah between the French and the English. And that determined that, that, that Quebec would be French-speaking and that we down here would be English-speaking. The two generals in that uh, fight on the Plains of Abraham, which is right in Quebec City, mm-hmm. right near the Chateau Frontenac, that big hotel up there. Yeah, I haven't been. I haven't been into the old city in so long. I absolutely forgot everything about it, which is too bad because I have to get back. So, who were the generals? The generals were, for the English was General Wolfe, and W O L F E, and the French general was Montcalm, M O N T, C A L M, and they both were killed mm. in the battle. But the English won the battle. And because they won the battle, I think it was probably in about 1757 or something like that. And um, so that um, because, of the, because of that battle that's, uh, and the English winning it, that's essentially why the United States uh, became English-speaking. And, uh, you know, we, if it went the other way, we would have been— at that time, a colony of France. It was a pivotal battle in the Seven Years' War, often referred to as the French and Indian War, uh, describing the North American theater as I look it up. And by the way, thank you for I, – I, I'm very honest about not knowing things, and I just had I assumed that it was on the list. I thought it had something to do with the Middle East, but it didn't. I'm curious as to how it got its name, but uh, – What year was the battle? Uh, Battle of Quebec. Uh, we're talking actually six, uh, 1759, the Battle th- of the Plains of Abraham. Well, not bad. I said 1757. You were darn close. Yeah. Darn close. So that you know, I w- so what happened on that trip was that uh, uh, not only was we s- well, the food was terrific. First of all, the French food. Oh yeah. Okay. 
So the, the, we, I bought skates so that Lois and I could skate. I mean, the river below, when you looked out from the Plains of Abraham, you know, the St. Lawrence River mm-hmm. is, a, is a great river. It's got a very wide mouth of miles and miles, and it's navigable all the way to the Great Lakes. So, you know, it was a, it still is. Commerce flows on that, on that river. When you look down at it, it's impressive and massive. Uh, and it's not a little stream by a long shot. And uh, so that— um, So you bought the, skates. Hmm? You bought skates. Yeah, I bought to... skates. The Chateau Frontenac, the hotel that's right there that looks down on the river, is a big French-style structure. must be a hotel of three, four, five hundred rooms. We weren't staying there. We were staying someplace else. But in front of the hotel is a big arena where people can skate. And uh, we weren't—neither one of us are good skaters— and I fell heavily. Oh. And a big, massive bruise on my hip. <laughs> but like all the falls I've had, my hip hasn't yet broken. God forbid it should happen. When was this, by the way? How many oh, years I'd ago? I'd say this was like, uh, I don't know, 1975. Oh, okay. So you were a young tyke. Oh, yeah. We were relatively young. Yeah. So that, um, no, no. I mean, I was. But... So anyway, I, you know, I, I was okay. I could walk. And so we had a date to go up, drive up the St. Lawrence on that shore, which was uh, in the, to Pointe a Peak, which is a famous town, about, I don't know, maybe 80 or 100 miles from Quebec City, going toward the open ocean. And we stayed at a Quebecois hotel. And the Quebecois hotel, we were the only um, Americans there. They were all French-speaking Quebecois. This was New Year's, and they would. So the owner of the hotel either captured or bought a goose, and it, and the goose was big enough so it would feed everybody. And it was a big party. Everybody was dancing with people they didn't know. Blah blah blah. So the guy who ran the hotel was married to a Japanese woman who was nice, you know, so that. Uh, I said to myself, well, maybe the Japanese woman will come over and ask me to dance. <laughs> <laughs> Always on the prowl, Larry, for a beautiful woman of Asian extraction particularly, I'm guessing. So, well, yeah, the Asian women yes. are you know, they certainly slim. Are. Yeah. And so anyway, um, but who comes over to ask me to dance? Her husband. Well, there's a, there's a story turn I didn't see coming. No, and uh, he liked me. Really? I guess he went both ways. I don't know. I guess he did. So that, um, and I, you know, I was horrified at that prospect. So that, um, you know, I don't know that I danced with him. I mean. Uh, what dance did he want to do? The gavotte or Whatever something? they do in Quebec. Huh? Whatever they do. <laughs> and uh, so that. Uh, well, that's, I didn't, okay. All right. Uh, we're talking about close calls. That was a close call. Yeah. And the party was, <laughs> and the party was, well, I think the close call was. Was breaking my hip. Yeah, that was. I'm. Yeah, I'm reading into it. <laughs> so that uh, you know. So that the uh, the the uh, we had a lot of fun. You know, it was a great party, and um, I guess Lois danced with. I don't know who she danced with. She can tell you when you go out there, and uh, she'll remember it for sure. But then we. Uh, so that was a great trip to Quebec because the food was good. The plains of Abraham were interesting. Skating was not so much fun, but at least I didn't kill myself. And then going up to. Uh, to to have a party on New Year's with the Quebecois, where we were the only Americans. That was sort of fun. 
So we go from not fooling around with Herod to almost fooling around with the hotel manager. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm just <laughs> joshing with you. Wow, uh, I can't wait for more of these close calls. We're talking about Larry's life and what a life indeed. Thank you, my friend. That's my pleasure. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Ruttman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.